Welcome to It All Starts With You podcast, where young, health-centered people come to get fired up to learn the tips, tricks, and health hacks of what it takes to level up your performance. I'm your host, Michael Sack, and each week I'll be bringing you the most incredible people to share their story and knowledge in order to help you take your health to the next level. And today on the show, we have Matt McInnes Watson. Welcome to It All Starts With You. Thank you very much for having me on, Michael. Appreciate it. So for those of that who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a bit of a spill of what your background is, what you're studying, and yeah, what you're all about. So I am British born and bred. Um, so football being the, or soccer if you're um, not, not accustomed to, the, to football, to us English, um, yeah. it was, was kind of everything to me. Um, growing up so kind of from the ages from, from the young ages all the way through to I'd say 17 18 where there was a, a bit of a crossover period where um, I started to play a bit of basketball and kind of within that transition I also was introduced to track and field um, because I was not a basketball player by any means I was more of a, an athlete on a basketball court so and that that led me to um, my first, I'd say, proper experience within a performance environment, and and within that environment, the the coach there was um, who became my 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 coach for the whole of my high jumping career was um, was the guy that's still my mentor today, um, and I amazing I met him around thirteen ish years ago. So yeah, he's been a continual part to developing my knowledge and. Um, and my philosophy, I think, overall, it's really kind of shaped my direction as to as to what I'm truly interested in um, when it comes to athletic performance and fitness and, you know, all of the above kind of thing. Um, and, and within that, um, yeah, I found a love for, for dynamic movement, specifically kind of speed training and plyometrics. Um, and that's purely because of because of his background. Um, he was a Canadian coach that was in the um, was in was in Canada during kind of the the transition of bringing in the the Polish sector to um, Canadian sports, um, where the likes big big names of people like Gerard Mock came over and really influenced kind of movement dynamics and and brought in a bit more of a, a European or you could almost say kind of influences of, of Soviet kind of Russian training. And that's, yeah, that's kind of shaped his philosophy and, and kind of had a knock on effect to me um, in terms of what I have learned. Um, and and it's, it's so, it's so kind of true in terms of how I look at those influences and then read a lot of the old school kind of Soviet um, literature. And it's, yeah, it's it's really quite profound when I, you know, he'll always just talk to me about experiences and stuff, and then I'll kind of have that cross reference of, of of the actual educational stuff, and um, yeah, so it's been it's been a, a journey of me moving through kind of 
learning stuff through an undergraduate as well as doing a, a master's and now I'm writing a PhD in plyometrics so it's uh, it's all kind of a, a long-term educational journey that I've been going on when it comes to, to dynamic movement as well as having a really strong mentorship behind it so yeah I'm kind of I'm now at a stage where um, I do a lot of consulting um, with teams and coaches as well as as well as having a, a bit of an online platform for, for coaching biometrics in general and, and guiding the process itself. Do you, on a, on another note entirely, do you work with a, any combat athletes, so judo, jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts? Yes. Yeah, so I, I've had, I've had quite a, um, well, I say quite a broad, I've had a very broad kind of capture of different athletes and mixed martial arts especially has been um has been quite yeah it's been it's been very different as to um the way that i've kind of looked at, at plyometrics and dynamic movement but it seems it seems to fit exactly kind of what what i assume would be needed in terms of being explosive i wouldn't say that jujitsu is necessarily within that realm um because i'm very yeah, familiar yeah. with jiu-jitsu having uh, having been living in um the U the uae or the united arab emirates yeah. in Abu Dhabi, it's uh it's a um like a, a needed thing for all the emirati students to learn jiu-jitsu so i was very familiar having taught out there um with with having to to be part of teaching um brazilian jiu-jitsu and i know that there wasn't that much of a crossover um in terms of plyometrics and dynamic stuff as opposed oh, yeah. to stand-up combat sports so um yeah i've worked with quite a few uh, mma guys um a few kickboxers a few boxers um and it does have quite a nice crossover in terms of the just the i think the rhythm of combat sports and how there's a lot of back back to front kind of bouncing movement in a lot of those kind of sports and that has like a, an in and out um kind of sensation as to as to when you might throw certain certain moves whether it's a punch or a kick depending on what sport you're in um, it's like you're jolting a side to side back exactly. and forth you're zigzagging and this back and forth exactly. and all of that and, yeah and depending on how kind of their footwork will move i think mm. it's a, has like a real nice um yeah has a really nice crossover with with how you can implement plyometrics into those sports and it's yeah it's had some pretty pretty incredible um results in terms of some testing that I'm, i know that athletes have done um in looking at things like how quickly they can develop force and how fast they and powerful they are when they um let's say initiate a kick or or throw a punch um so so yeah it's uh I've, i have kind of delved into that realm a little bit not as much as obviously the other sports that would be typical of using um speed and dynamic stuff like typical team sports or track and field or um you know standard kind of power sports um but it, it's nice to have i think for me to learn a lot more about those sports because it yeah it makes my it makes me question a lot of my stuff to say you know does this fit can i can i really manipulate some of my training methods or systems to help fit those sports and it's and i think it shows a lot of robustness to to my education and my systems that i have so it's yeah i, I, I do like going into different bits and bobs is uh, the way that uh, the way that you're speaking you're a constant student i mean uh, you've been studying at a high level for 
10 plus years. And so you're speaking with a certain certainty, this huge, it's like, you know your stuff clearly, but you have this uh, open mind in wanting it to know and wanting it to know more. And there's a big note, there's a big note to this. It's like people that, that want to survive in this industry and need to have this uh, open mind. You touched the base on a Russian, Russian block style of training. I've brought on a few guys with that really specialize in kettlebell training and that kind of stuff. And they've been massive when it comes to resistance training and that kind of stuff. But it's like, I'm really curious to hear what's been the major factor on your knowledge, how it's made such a huge impact on you as a coach. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at, when I kind of look at the the Russian side of um, you could say of, of literature in general, um, you know, there's you go for everything from kettlebell stuff to um, to all the kind of plyometrics and dynamic stuff that, that I am far more familiar with. Um, I mean, all, all the way through to periodization stuff. Um, but I think the the good stuff to look at for me has always been how things were initially brought about and there's a lot there's always a lot of um there's always a lot of good reasoning behind what 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 the russians did um it was a it was always kind of a race to to make sure that they were a step ahead of the the americans especially during you know the cold war and stuff like Everything, this so yeah. you know and you can you can say well well you know it was tarnished in um in performance enhancing drugs but that aside they they still had to figure out where like you can't just take a performance enhancing drug drug and expect to be better than someone that potentially already might be taking it anyway in the u.s so it's mm. they had to find new ways to do this and i think that i think that it really pushed uh, the limits of coaches in terms of ways in which they can really look at kind of a lot of natural tendencies within the body and i think that plyometrics itself is really great it's almost like a, a system within the body that we can we can look at and say well we can actually influence a lot of the biological systems and the reflexive systems that we already have as humans and we can break down some of the natural inhibitions within the body to really unlock some some, some kind of special talent I want to dive into that a little yeah, more, so, but yeah, finish your I mean, point. Yeah. So the, I mean, you can, you can use the, I've, I've, I, heard, I hear the kind of story or phrase a lot about how, you know, if you were to get electrocuted, the, the thing that throws you across the room, if you were to be majorly electrocuted is, is not the electric. It's your, it's your muscles contracting to such a high degree to actually, mm. actually using them to their potential that throws you across the room. As opposed to, as opposed to, you know, what we see in, in typical training, and that's what we're constantly trying to do is trying to tap into recruiting more muscle fibers, tap into using those reflexive responses. So I think the Russians did did an excellent job at looking at the human body and saying, well, you know, we've got a lot of these natural phenomenon within the body that really 
no one's that sure as to to what it does and and kind of secondly how how we can actually push the body to say oh well we can go past this and we can kind of show some superhuman traits and and really develop athletes that that kind of go against the the typical status quo of how we would just generally move day to day um and and i think it it almost does go back a little bit to more ancestral stuff where we're looking at people that would have moved, yeah. yeah a lot better than what we do obviously day to day now so so yeah i love the verkashansky's work um who is the kind of forefather of biometrics kind of inverted commas but you know he he created biometrics as a i wouldn't say necessarily a training system but a way to to gain the adaptations that are producing the most powerful athletes on earth. And and he was doing that with Russian track and field athletes and, and really transforming the way that athletes were jumping and sprinting. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a ramble, but it's, yeah, I think the looking at the, the natural biology of us is, has been, has been a really important part and the transition to modern day stuff is so much less about that sometimes and more about finding hacks or or shortcuts or you know the silver bullet to that that little exactly heel kind of thing yeah no exactly exactly you're looking looking to buy a six-week training program that's going to transform your life and you're like no we understand we understood this 30 40 years ago the adaptations for anything whether it's strength whether it's speed, whether it's weight loss, whether it's hypertrophy, this stuff takes time. six months plus. <laughs> and and it, should be, it should be about long-term development rather than short-term, <laughs> the silver bullet or the, the hack. So, What's your... Anyone can Google the, uh, the, the meaning of plyometrics, but what's your understanding what's your take of the word plyometric or yeah plyometric training at a whole um so i i like to keep it as simple as possible when it when it comes to explaining it um and there there is a yeah there's a lot of misinformation i think with plyometrics in general that there's there's a mm. lot of fitness influenced plyometrics and you can say per se is and it's not necessarily what was initially um meant by verkashansky and what, what he truly wanted to get out of plyometrics and for me it's it's having a movement that has a landing and a takeoff to a movement or exercise so you're going to hit the ground and you're going to leave the ground that is a plyometric landing mm-hmm. and there is a set you you could be really critical and say that it needs to be done within under 0.25 of a second which is seems to be the um the threshold that's thrown around but i think realistically if you are a coach and you see a movement that looks fast the athlete hits the ground and leaves the ground i think it's relatively plyometric yeah. i think if you really if you were to really get quite specific then you you can start to look at the timings on the ground but if the athlete can move off of the floor well they don't collapse at a joint they're able to just almost like a sprint stride or a, a, a typical bounding of moving from one leg to the other if the if the athlete is fast off of the ground it's probably quite plyometric in, in nature 
and you're using the the connective tissue that supports us to move at faster and more powerful rates. So yeah, so a landing and takeoff that's fast, there's plyometrics. Over time, when you're an athlete, your window of capacity to perform at a high level just shrinks unless you're a freak athlete like Led Hamilton or one of those guys they've been performing and still like he's still riding huge waves at his age which is fucking unreal but how are you helping these athletes perform for extended periods of time at a reasonably high level like what are you doing with these guys so I think my bias with, with plyometrics is it's quite a special one in terms of looking at joint health and yeah. And I think the the number one kind of silver bullet, <laughs> that number one thing <laughs> that is <laughs> yeah, the, the the number one most important factor for longevity of of a career is injury reduction over that career so if you have an athlete that spends more time training over the period of their career than another athlete that spends less time the likelihood for staying at a higher level of performance is there it is it's really not rocket science to to see that yeah, someone that's able to continue to work on their craft and maintain a health status that's that's not creating chronic issues is is your number one important thing. It's a really really fine balance to 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 get that and to look at people like Roger Federer or to look at people like LeBron James. You, you know, you question what what have these guys done well. I know Federer, towards the end of his career, started to, you know, he started to pick up issues, and that's that's inevitable. Inevitable. Why? Inevitable. Yeah, why he did end up finishing up his career. But you look at someone like LeBron James and say, well, where has he, where has he missed a season within his career? He really hasn't. He really hasn't had any long-term injuries. So plyometrics, I think, is a major part in number one, keeping your athletes prepared in a way that they're not getting very kind of minor repetitive injuries that you might think that might start off as a basic niggle and then end up more chronic. Something um, Yeah. Yeah. So simple things like, you know what, my Achilles is sore after this training session today. I think the the way that I implement my plyometrics in making sure that there is um, there's a there's a fine concentration on tendon health and, and making sure that the tendon's strong, the tendon is able to to withstand high volumes um, and to withstand a volume of work at a super high level of force. You know, plyometrics is that that training element that taps into ground reaction forces that you you really can't find in other parts of training you can't emulate that in the gym when you're lifting weights you can't deal with six seven eight times body mass when you land 
Well, you can, sorry, in plyometrics, but you can't do that when you're trying to back squat. <laughs> Your limit's probably going to be somewhere around two times body weight. And at that, at that sort of level, you're already lifting at a pretty advanced level anyway. So yeah, it's that, it's that training method, I think, that is looking after your joints as well as preparing them for higher thresholds within competition. Absolutely. So if if that if that's going to help the athlete to play at a higher level, reduce the amount of injuries that they're getting that uh, that's going to have a knock-on effect, you know, throughout a couple of years, then that for me is the is the biggest winning part to your all of your training methods, I think, and, you know, people will say, Oh, well, well, I do that for strength training and stuff, but I don't think strength training has quite the adaptations that you get for the connected tissue, like your tendons and ligaments, like it does for more standard musculature. Dive into um, that, dive into that. Cause I was going to ask about like strength training and that, but I'm, I'm yeah. Keep this yeah, ball well, rolling. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, with, you know, you could argue there are, there are forms of strength training where you could, you could look at more isometric, kind of more static strength work, which do help with basic tendon health. Um, and I think that that sort of strength training married up with plyometrics is a really great um, kind of recipe put together within training. But it's also not everything, the isometric part of that training. I think that it does need to be married up with all the other components. It can't just be seen as, okay, that's the only form of uh, strength training that I'm doing. You still need to be doing standardized lifting, I think, to to improve the, the health of the muscles or the readiness of muscles as well. Um, there's, there's a lot to be said with that in terms of, you know, where, where do you where do you do more of your training? Is it within lifting weights? Is it within doing more plyometrics? And I think you have to look at the relationship with how the muscle works with the tendon. So if the if the muscle is too strong for the tendon, um, the yeah, yeah, the likelihood is that you're not going to be as snappy, you're not going to be as fast and dynamic. And on the flip side of it, if there's a lot more tendon-based work and not enough musculature-based work, the likelihood for you to pull muscles is a lot higher so you have to have a fine balance between that i think and and i think it's all all should be based around preparation for your sport rather than trying to yeah rather than trying to maximize you being as strong and as powerful as possible well no let's just let's make sure that everything is um geared towards you being best prepared for you to maximize what you're doing within your sport specific work so yeah, I, I will always kind of marry up the strength training um, and the plyometric training together so that they make sure that they're supporting each other so, and, and that both kind of support the health of the tendon and, and the muscle. So, yeah, it's uh, – and, you know, the the, the ways of, of, of periodizing that side of strength training can be a thousand different ways as opposed to what you might look at with – you know, there's there are some – some different variations of how you would train plyometrics um, and how you might dose it or integrate it within that strength training um, but it's not quite as vast as as a uh, as strength training or typical gym based stuff so you know there's from isolated stuff all the way to more complex stuff the the strength world is, is, is as broad it's as massive. you want to make yeah what's the difference between strength and conditioning 
and plyometric training because the what's the difference for me there shouldn't be a difference okay i think i think a strength conditioning well i mean it's a very kind of broad term i think you know like you say i'm a strength conditioning coach if you're a strength and conditioning coach to me you are someone that should be able to prepare an athlete for their sport and i think that you should be able to strength train them i think you should be able to train their aerobic capacity their lactate threshold capacity their plyometric training i think you should be able to support them in return to play protocols everything kind of in between <laughs> a complete medical expert and a sport specific coach you should be the person that fills in everything in there and yeah. and i think this the, the modern day strength coaches also there also seems to be a bit of a bridge between sport specific coaches or physiotherapists and athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches i'm seeing a lot more kind of crossbreed coaches that are extremely good at their jobs because they understand the medical side and let's say the preparation side, or they understand the sports specific stuff and the physical preparation stuff. So you've got these really great coaches that I think are, there's a, there's a few at the moment that are really leading the industry with, with a few um, just different ideas and different concepts and ways in which we, you can be a little bit more critical of everything rather than maybe having a bit more of a niche and saying, you know, I'm a strength conditioning coach and I get athletes strong. And you're like, great, but it's a real small piece. So a small yeah. piece of the pool when yeah. we look at everything else that potentially could be affecting this. Yeah. You know, and you could broaden this out to an S&C coach that also has great knowledge in psychological training and mental preparation for the sport. Um, but I think more and more of it's coming and the need for that is, is becoming more obvious as we start to see it doesn't matter how fast your athlete is. It doesn't matter how strong your athlete is. If they're not good at their sport, then they're no good. It's a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I brought her on a while ago, Joel Jameson. I'm not sure if you know who he is, but I was, firstly, I was so fucking lucky that he even replied to me. But nonetheless, I was talking to, I was talking to him about this and then or whatever, but he brought, he raised a really interesting uh, topic where it's management of stress he's worked with like some of the biggest names in combat sports and he's like yeah stress is always going to be a factor but it's like you can look at all the other variables getting really specific but you need to be juggling a whole bunch of other stuff stress management is absolutely absolutely massive um you mentioned a whole bunch of you mentioned um these different uh, different components when it came to tendon health and strength training and all of that what were the what are those components like let's deep dive a little bit and break it up a little bit so are you looking more towards um how, how how tendons might affect what your your plyometric training does or how that might affect how you move or how how it how you'll might 
move either moving it from side to side or if you're or if you're on a basketball or if you're playing a basketball and you're moving it from side to side or if someone is running at you and you have to be moving backwards but side to side and that kind of stuff yeah um so i think if we're to if we're to kind of backpedal a little bit and look at how um how tendons are involved with things like plyometrics and how that has a has a crossover then to to sport itself i think that we start to look at well how how are tendons involved when we when we use more dynamic movement and i think the first bit is is saying well we use plyometrics or we the reason why we use more tendon based energy when we move is because of the the tissue itself in a tendon so the way that the the tendon is is kind of linking into the the muscle what you have that that cross bridge is the muscular tendons unit if you're not familiar with it um but when you move from that muscle into the tendon the tendon is a, is a much stiffer tissue um it's far more rigid than than what you would what you would feel in a muscle you know you can feel your your calf muscle and you can I think the calf is probably the best one to, to feel, but you can feel the body of that and say, wow, it's a pretty loose piece of tissue. Obviously yeah. it can stiffen right up when it contracts, but you, you've, you move down to your Achilles and you're like, wow, that's like, it's, it's, you know, it's super solid in terms yeah, of super thick. how it feels and, and really quite, yeah, like you say, it's really thick. Um, so you've got to look at it and how, how those two pieces of tissue contract so, or sorry, the tendon doesn't contract. The muscle pulls on the tendon, and that's how it moves and gives you that, um, gives you that energy. But in terms of how we move it, so when we pull on a muscle, even if you pull it quite fast, it's still going to give you a relative amount of kind of effort back or energy back out of that when you're pulling it and then letting it kind of recoil back. And obviously, you get you do get plenty of energy out of it. But when you're able to train the tendon effectively. So when you're pulling the muscles so hard, it says, wow, I, I need to call upon the tendon because I know the tendon's going to give me a lot more out of this. Yeah. So when I pull it at a super fast rate, the tendon then gets pulled. So it, I know I say, I say it as in like a, an analogy of, well, what would happen if you were to, if you were to have certain guitar strings or something like that, and one was made of steel, it would take a lot more for you to pull on that steel guitar string and get something out of it, like to that. get a twang out of it, as opposed to, let's say, just a basic string one, right? So it has a lot more, or even a, even a rubber band, you know, you do get a little bit out of it, but if you were strong enough to pull on that steel one and snap it back, believe me, it's going to give far more energy than... It's something that's more of a soft tissue. So the tendon, when it's pulled on as well, is pulled on in a much shorter and faster range. So you'll see that when we are sprinting, not a lot of our bodies reduced much. We don't get much of a, of a flexion at the hip or at the knee or at the ankle. Obviously, you do get some. We need it to pull on that tendon. But we get a much shorter, faster pull on that tendon. So when you see movement that is super dynamic, someone's sprinting, someone is hopping on one leg, someone is bounding, it's a fast cut or change of direction. The likelihood for us to be using more of the tendon than 
per se the the muscle the the muscular energy is is much higher when we're getting into more softer deeper movements so larger ranges of motion the likelihood for the recoil of the the tendon to give us a lot of energy back is dampened a little bit because we're spending more time on the ground uh, we can't we can't stretch the tendon when we're moving through a, a deeper range. It gets to a certain stage where the tendon stops stretching and the muscle has to take over because it's it's far more malleable and it has that it has that lengthening and shortening ability um, that, that it has to deal with, let's say when you're bending your knee. All that muscul- musculature around the knee has the ability to really move around that joint when you're flexing at it. So if you are let's say that you're really changing direction of, of, of moving side to side and you're trying to, say, beat an opponent in basketball, where you might sell that defender to go one way and you might really soften onto one leg. And then you'll go the other. Direction. Whereas you could have a completely different movement, something like a, um, a sidestep in rugby or, um, or football where it's a much more upright kind of shorter change of direction and you're almost shimmying the, the player you might go one way the other way and then back to the other way that would be much more um you'd be getting a lot more energy out of tendon in doing so so i think that's a you know it's not i wouldn't say it's the kind of perfect science of looking at it but it's a really it's a really simplistic way of looking at it and i think it it, it enables us to to systematize things a bit more so when you are saying oh well i want to work on it could be something like tennis where someone's moving across the court laterally and they're really diving down into a low position to pick to kind of hit the ball from a lower position you see someone like novak Djokovic, that's almost in like the splits they're in a really wide deep stance when he comes out of that movement it's probably going to be quite slow because you're having to get out of the bottom of that action so the likelihood for it to be more muscle-based is a lot higher as opposed to something that would be really fast and sh- sharp with ground contact time might be a lot quicker as well. I think it enables us to group movements up a lot easier yeah. to say today, this is going to be a lot more focused on more tendon driven based movement as opposed to more muscular based movement. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have a system where I have a, a bit more of a, a hierarchy of movement where some of the movement is a lot deeper. Some of the movement is a lot, um, a lot more taller and stiffer. Um, and then I'll split those two kind of more upright tendon-based movements, some that are more submaximal and some that are more maximal. Mm. And then, you again, you can then manipulate the kind of adaptations that you want to bring in or the type of athlete that you're working with, someone that might not be able to deal with really intense dynamic stuff but you can do lighter, taller work. So it could be something that's far more submaximal, where something like a pogo leap, something where you're just bouncing on your feet. And it's not point. maximal. Most people can deal with that load. So you can use that in a much broader population of athletes, as opposed to let's do let's do uh, one-legged bounds for distance at a really fast rate. That's going to be much more intense, and it's going to be suited to. Uh, another population of athletes that might might have been through a lot more of the submaximal stuff and now they're transitioning to the maximal based work totally. so yeah that's kind of how i would look at the relationship of the tendon and muscle when it comes to organizing your training or organizing the movements that you use within your training and i help i think it helps to not 
double guess and just say, oh, we're going to do some of this and we're going to do some of this. And hopefully it's just going to kind of come together and work. It's just going to improve the athlete because there's a lot of that within dynamic movement. People just, they think, well, let's just do a bit of that and that. And hopefully it has a transfer. Yeah. Well, uh, especially with this kind of training, you need to be very, you need to be very specific. We're talking about the 5%. It's like 95, like, 95% 95% of people aren't going to be diving into this kind of stuff, but it's so fast. It's so fascinating. And the way that you've broken it up and systemized it in a fashion where it's super easy to understand is it's quite incredible. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite it's, amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, when, when you're, when you're passionate about something, you just, yeah, you're just kind of diving deeper and deeper into the, down the rabbit hole of, of finding new little things that could add up to, to make quite a significant influence on maybe some of the systems that you're using or, you know, new pieces of research that are coming out and suggesting, well, actually what we thought was true is maybe it kind of is, but if we add this to it, then it really changes the the concept or the outlook of, of what you might have thought was quite valuable to your system that maybe isn't so so yeah i i just love to look at that and constantly kind of throw it all up on the wall and say well you know is this still worth doing am i still getting what i what i assume i'm getting out of this um and yeah that's what i really like to do is just pick pick apart what i'm always um implementing just to make sure that you know this is this is still what I think it is. Absolutely. You got a ton on your plate. What's 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 next for you? You mentioned briefly that you're moving it to the US to start this incredible role. What's what's next for you? What's what's coming up for you? So so we um I say we the the business that my my wife and I run um plus pliers which is a it's around pl- programming plyometrics and, and education and stuff i think the the next thing in line for us is is doing some face-to-face seminars uh, so we have a few of those lined up um that are, that are in around the the uk at the moment because we are currently in the uk um so that's going to be really exciting um i'm I've been I've been delivering a lot of online education um, and, and more theoretical, uh, theoretical based education, and, and I think that it's really there's another degree to learning the practical side of it and and understanding having someone like myself that has has had so much time and experience of plyometrics as an athlete as well as a coach. Um, there's a there's so much more to be learned with the, the practical side of it. So I'm excited to, to start teaching people how to move a bit more effectively and having coaches experience what this sort of training really is. So, you know, they can coach it all they like, but until they've really kind of been pushed into the deep end and say, this is actually what you, sh- what your athletes should be feeling. And these are the sensations. And this is really the intent of how you should be delivering this sort of movement. And not just an assumption that okay, I've seen it online. You know, okay, it looks pretty dynamic, and I just give it to my athletes, and then think, yeah, I know that this is the science behind it. Actually, giving them that experience, I think, is it adds just so much more to that. Absolutely. So I'm excited to 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 get going with that. Um, 
we launched a um, a small introduction to coaching plyometrics course back in April time, and I think we're now getting to a stage where there's there's a want for a bit more to that course. Um, so the the step up from that is is going to be um, there's going to be a nice challenge for me to be able to, to deliver what I think is going to be an effective um, step up from that introduction to coaching flyers. Um, so yeah, it's there's a few things uh, in those those kind of directions and yeah it just seems to be um since we've moved moved back from the middle east it's been it's been an excellent kind of period of time where i've been able to work on our on our business full time um look at more of my research um and and really dig into just just so many different projects that are kind of coming my way and and me being able to similar to what i said about combat sports is weightlifting has been the next one olympic weightlifters have, have been um I've been kind of knocking on my door and saying you know can this help olympic weightlifting and i've had a, a coach that i'm working with at the moment where we're piecing together a program for olympic weightlifting and it's it's almost quite unfamiliar within that community it's so so much of what they do is very yeah. much under a bar so it really isn't okay it's it's going to be a real nice um it's just a you know let's just see let's see how effective this could be within that community of athletes. I, I have no doubt that it will have some good effects, um, whether it's to keep them healthy, you know, great. That That's enough for me to say, well, you know, your knees are much better. Your ankles can handle a lot more lifting load. Mm. Then why not do this form of training alongside it and not just continually do what you've always done. So it's nice to go into those old school sports that have, had that kind of tried and tested methods that they've continually done over the last 40 years mm. when they could bring in a new element of something and say, Hmm, can this add a little bit more to what we were already working on? So yeah, just some really exciting directions um, with, with things that are really challenging my, my, my knowledge and, and systems that I, that I put in place when I coach guys. So yeah, really well, fun. It's going back to tendon health. <laughs> especially when you're flinging that much weight yeah. uh, so also um i didn't mention it but also crossfit there's some guys said that there's like hey you have those high level competitors said that need it more than it and than anything and i i wish i brought this up earlier but anyways <laughs> um crossfit will definitely need it so it's definitely a huge scope just waiting so i'm stoked for you man <laughs> it should be really exciting for you appreciate it yeah it's uh it, it's exciting you know it's uh and when i especially from my background of track and field like we're so we're so insular like the track and field community are in terms of like we use the best best methods to make the fastest the highest jumpers the, the biggest throwers and all this sort of stuff and then and then when you move out to sports that are, you know, so there's so much more to those sports that aren't all about the physical development. They're, they're more about skills or they're more about, I know CrossFit is, is all physical based stuff, but again, CrossFit is so complex in terms of what it has in it. It's kind of, it's almost like the MMA of, of kind of, a, yeah, you don't really know what's coming, do you, in terms yeah. of you know, be fighting an opponent that has skills in all these different areas and it, the crossfit's the same you know you, you could be you could be competing against someone that is 
an old Olympic weightlifter. You can have someone that's new to the game that's coming in from, I've got a friend that's transitioned from being a sprinter into a CrossFit athlete. And he is really impressing people in terms of the, he's kind of on a, on a way to go into the CrossFit games. And it's been like a three or four year period. And I'm like, it's incredible. That's, it's really interesting to see how they bring in different, you know, backgrounds or skills or whatever to, to that sport. So yeah, it's, um, it's really kind of got exciting over the last few years to say, wow, the opportunity for plyometrics to fit into almost all speed and power or dynamic sport is, is there. It's, it's finding its place within those sports, which is the biggest challenge and most enjoyment that I get out of it. So yeah, really exciting. Final question. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give him 10 seconds of advice, what would it be? Continue to listen to your mentor more. Yes, (laughs) love that. (laughs) It's, yeah, don't don't make the mistake in in not tapping into the mentor that I had and the relationship that I built with him. Like, I I don't think I'd ever change it. if any, yeah, if anything, listen more than I did. <laughs> I, I, I look at it and say the first kind of couple of years, I was like subconsciously learning from him. Mm. And then I became like so much more aware, I think, when I transitioned through kind of like my final years of university and went, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Like even listening <laughs> to some of my, even listening to some of my professors, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. like hearing I had like a strength conditioning unit on my degree and hearing some of the, like the plyometrics literature that he was feeding to us. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because you've told us that we can only do X amount of landings. And the science says, or the, the textbooks say for us to do this amount of landings. He's like, you know, this is the advanced level. And I'm like, well, I saw three 14 year old girls do twice the amount of those landings yesterday. What happened to them? Like, why aren't they injured? I straight away was like, Okay, my my mentor really understands this from a from you know the the educational side of things. He is still looking at literature. He was he's he's a lifelong learner himself, but also his experience. You know, you have to have your your toes in that in that realm to really say, actually, you can you can go against what's already in the textbooks a little bit because he's pro- he's pro- kind of proven it with experience. So, um, yeah. I was to go back, yeah, this first couple of years, maybe just listen with a little bit more of a of a keen kind of eye. And yeah, I, I think that's a nice way to go about it. Some people want to flip their whole world upside down and say, oh, well, I should have gone in this direction, in this direction. Yeah, just just focusing a little bit more at times when maybe when I should have. Well, that's what life experience is all about. <laughs> exactly right. I really appreciate your time and yeah, I'm cheering you on from the other side of the world. I appreciate it. It's been really good. It's been great to chat. Some some nice conversation. And yeah, if, if anyone has any questions further about this, then yeah, please, please reach out to me. I'm more than happy to to discuss this. As you can tell, I, I do enjoy the the topic. <laughs> where um last thing, sorry, where can where can people find you? Um so 
Instagram is is where I'm most active, um, and and you can come to our website as well, and that you can you know you can always communicate with us through that. So you can find me at McInnes Watson on Instagram, or we also have uh, at Plus Pliers, which is our um, our business account, um, where I I constantly post educational stuff. I'm constantly kind of throwing questions out there. I'll always kind of provide kind of Q and A parts of the week. Um, and yeah, just trying to trying to give my kind of five cent on a, on a regular basis, and and really, yeah, just provide something that's that's easy to digest as well. I want to make sure that everyone can kind of look at this and say, yeah, I can I can take a little part of that away and do something with that. Other than that, plusfires.com it has everything from our our uh, our programs to our subscription programs to our courses to you know, you can you can always um, sign up to a consultation as well. There's, there's there's many things on there that you can dig into, and it's continually growing now, of course. So yeah, uh, I really appreciate you you listening in if you are, um, and yeah, always reach out to me if you've got any questions to further the, the stuff that we've talked about. Legend. Bye, everybody. Really appreciate you listening to the episode. If you had a light bulb moment or that aha moment, it goes such a long way. If you could take 20 seconds and leave a five star written review, screenshot the episode and share it to your stories and make sure you tag me for that shout out.